What is up, Bitcoiners? Welcome to another episode of Fed Watch. I'm here with Ansel. How's it going, Ansel? What's up, Christian? How are you doing, listeners? So uh, I don't know if uh, you can see what's going on behind me, but I'm finally in my new office and I have a bunch of stuff set up and I Looks don't have good. just this this blank ghost wall behind me. It, it feels good to get situated and, you know, kind of have a, a, a spot. We need to get you some some Bitcoin art, Ansel. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a little remodeling here in my front room. So this this is going to be a new desk area behind me and maybe some sort of plank thing on the wall. I don't know. We got We got some work to do in here. Ansel is very handy, so uh, I'm excited to see your handiwork. Yeah, I, man, that's half my time. I, I love uh, Bitcoin has enabled me to do a lot more of my yard work and my handyman stuff, so I love it. So today we sat down with Elliot Johnson, who is the CIO over at Evolve ETFs. Um, I don't know if you guys have been following what is happening over in Canada with these Bitcoin ETFs, but the floodgates have completely opened up. Evolve is the second Bitcoin ETF that has gotten approved, EBIT. Um, and it was really great to get Elliot over here to, you know, just kind of talk about, you know, what he's seeing on his side of things, you know, getting the regulatory okay, uh, moving things forward and what he, you know, thought about Bitcoin more generally. Um, so it's absolutely a perspective that is extremely important for our audience to see, seeing as though this show is all about giving you guys the insight into macro and everything you need to know about Bitcoin and macro. Um, and, you know, I thought that this was a really informative conversation. Ansel? Yeah, I agree. Um, it was kind of informational because I, I know myself, I mean, you've written about the ETS, Bitcoin Magazine has published some stuff, but uh, it's always, it, to me, that it's just, just an interesting topic, especially talking to somebody, uh, a CIO of one of those companies. So um, this was informational about their structure in Canada, about the ETFs, their process, open-ended versus closed-ended funds. We got into that. Uh, and we did find a way to bring macro into it, asking for you know his insight into the future from his perspective. So all in all, I think it was a, a very good show. Yeah. And before we get into it, let's talk about Bitcoin 2021. Um, guys, I am I, I, I get the inside look on our contact form where people are contacting us to speak. And let me just say there are some absolutely epic people contacting us. Uh, we already have Michael Saylor. We already have Jack Dorsey. We already have Nick Zabo. We already have Tony Hawk. We can't forget about Tony Hawk. But let me just tell you, the people who are sliding into our DMs over at Bitcoin 2021, they they rank up to that crew. It is a truly like unprecedented amount of Bitcoin royalty and just like movers and shakers in this space that are going to be in Miami June 4th and June 5th. And let me tell you, you guys could be there too. Bitcoiners in the U.S., in the Northwest, or sorry, in, uh, in you know, uh, in America proper stateside, you know, it's very easy to get down to Florida. In fact, it's actually cheap. So um, I would highly recommend going to b.tc backslash conference. That is b.tc backslash conference. Go and get your ticket to Bitcoin 2021 right now before we sell out and use promo code Satoshi. All caps Satoshi. That gets you 10% off of your GA ticket. And let me fill you in on a little secret. If you guys pay with Bitcoin and use promo code Satoshi, you not only get 10% off, but you actually get an additional $50 off for paying in Bitcoin. And I'm pretty sure you can use Strike 
to pay with fiat and have that turn into Bitcoin on our end. So um, you really can get the best of both worlds. So use the strike Bitcoin payment with promo code Satoshi and maximize your savings for Bitcoin 2021. Um, But yeah, hey, that's enough of me. That's enough of shilling the conference. Freaking be there. Let's get into this awesome interview with Elliot Johnson. Bitcoiners, welcome to another episode of FedWatch. I'm here with Ansel and a guest, Elliot Johnson, the CIO of Evolve. Evolve is an awesome company over out in Canada, and they are building some really, really unique ETFs. And they have put out a Bitcoin ETF in Canada, the EBIT ETF. So we're really excited to have Elliot on here to talk about Evolve, the EBIT ETF, as well as pick apart what he sees happening in the macro ecosystem. So this is going to be a great conversation. Elliot, welcome to FedWatch. Thanks, CK. Thanks, Ansel. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to be here. So, um, Elliot, I guess let's get started with uh, just a quick introduction about yourself. How uh, have you gotten into, uh, you know, working with Bitcoin and Evolve uh, more generally? And then maybe we can jump into uh, some of Evolve's uh, really awesome ETFs. Yeah, thanks very much. So um, uh, as a little background on Evolve, we are an ETF issuer in Canada. We've been in business for about three and a half years, and uh, we have uh, over the period of time since we started raised about $1.7 billion in assets, mostly through disruptive tech investment ETFs that we put together. So we've really been a leader in the space of disruptive tech investing, uh, going all the way back to 2017, where we launched Canada's first cybersecurity ETF and the world's first ETF to invest in the innovation happening in the automobile market in terms of the supply chain surrounding electric cars and self-driving cars. And since then, we followed that up with an ETF focused on AI, focused on cloud computing, another one focused on uh, video game uh, investing. And so this is really where we built our brand and we built the, um, uh, a really good business by bringing these investment products to uh, investors who haven't really had access to that kind of um stuff through traditional fund managers that they may have been working with in the past. And a big thing that we're trying to do at Evolve is trying to um, skate to where the puck is going, as Wayne Gretzky likes to say, uh, because we think that that's what's relevant for investors. And you know, you have a lot of uh, asset managers who are looking in the rearview mirror, and we're trying to look, you know, down the road uh, to see where things are going. And so, uh, Bitcoin and and crypto investing has definitely been part of that vision since the very beginning of our business. In fact, we filed for Canada's first Bitcoin ETF back in 2017 when the original Bitcoin futures were launched. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get regulatory approval back then, but we've been uh, trying ever since and very focused on the uh, crypto market because we really believe that uh, digital finance is here to stay and is a relevant part of, again, where the world is going. And so um, that, that's mostly what we're about. We've, um, we've got a really excellent team of folks at the firm uh, many of us have worked together in previous lives in other asset management businesses, and we've had uh, a really good reception from the uh, marketplace for the products that we've built and um, and the ideas that we've brought forward. So uh, it's amazing to hear of you know how early on Evolve has been trying to push a Bitcoin product. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know what you've seen since you know 
the you know this kind of slew of ETFs have uh, become available in in Canada. Uh, I know you know at least as a Bitcoiner in the U.S., uh, the SEC has been kind of blocking um, ETF uh, attempts. Uh, you know, to try to protect consumers that there's no demand, the the market is not mature. Those are kind of like typical um, things that you know were being said about why um, blocking a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, can you kind of give your insight into what you've seen since, uh, you know, getting approval and going forward with EBIT? Yeah. And, you know, maybe I could start just by commenting a little bit on how we got approved, if that's okay with you, because it's a place where Canada is really leading the world. Um, and, you know, a lot of times people don't think much about Canada outside of Canada. We're, we're kind of the, uh, uh, one of the quieter nations in the world, but we're quite innovative and we've got a very progressive environment for um, as far as financial regulation goes. In fact, the very first exchange traded fund launched in Canada in 1990 on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So we've been a pioneer in ETFs since the very beginning. Um, and we've recently been a pioneer in uh, the trading of other uh, emerging uh, asset markets, um, for example, medical cannabis and, and so forth. So it's been a place where we have a very progressive regulatory environment and, and regulators who are willing to have conversations with issuers like ourselves to move beyond some of those obstacles that have um, sometimes stand in the way of getting a product approved. And so I would say that the Ontario Securities Commission had many of the same concerns that the SEC has said. Uh, it has about um, Bitcoin-related funds. Um, but we were able to uh, really demonstrate to them as the Bitcoin market in particular, but cryptocurrencies in general, have matured over the past several years. That in fact, a lot of those concerns can be satisfied if you build a fund that has the right kind of um, controls and processes around it, which is really what we've done with EBIT, where you know, we're using only regulated counterparties, only regulated service providers, we're using a regulated benchmark to price our fund. And these, in these ways, we were able to deal with some of the concerns the regulators had around things like price manipulation and is Bitcoin, you know, would, would the fund be buying Bitcoin from somebody who was perhaps a bad actor and those kinds of things. And so we were able to demonstrate through how we put our product together that, in fact, uh, we found a solution to allow investors through their brokerage account to invest in a cryptocurrency without um, worrying about those concerns. And so that was number one. And really, that's the significant breakthrough in getting the regulators to agree that these products are, uh, they do satisfy securities law. They do provide um, uh, a way for investors to get access to Bitcoin, then brought them to the next stage of the conversation, which was, why wouldn't you approve an ETF if you've already approved other funds like closed end funds, or you already have listed corporations that own Bitcoin that effectively are trading as proxies for Bitcoin? You know, MicroStrategy is a good example of that. But even recently, Tesla buying Bitcoin on its balance sheet is a good example of that. Why would you allow investors, regular Main Street investors, to invest in those products, but not permit an ETF, which by its mechanism of how it's constructed will provide much better tracking to the price of Bitcoin? You know, the NAV of EBIT, that's our ETF on the Toronto Stock Exchange, is based on the amount of Bitcoin that we hold and the fund holds almost 100% Bitcoin. And because of the market making function around an ETF, the price of EBIT through the day tracks the price of Bitcoin. And that was a key part of our argument with the regulators. And um, to be honest, I think this is why we've seen since the ETFs in Canada have launched, the 
premium to net asset value for the closed end funds, Grayscale is obviously the big example, but we also have some Canadian closed end funds, has completely collapsed. And those funds now traded at a discount. And it's because we now actually have vehicles that can track the price and grow and shrink based on supply and demand. That's how an ETF works. And that argument, when we went to the regulators, was uh, front and center for, for making the case that ETFs shouldn't just be allowed, they should actually be preferred if you as a regulator are concerned with consumer protection. And, and, and we, we, we eventually sort of won, that, uh, won them over to our position on that. I, I understand that, that uh, Canada is leading the way and they also um, are a smaller market. So they're, they're, you know, things might be less monolithic and behemoth moving forward. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people in Bitcoin uh, see the SEC dragging their feet here in the U.S. as a, you know, having ulterior, ulterior motives. Uh, what you were just relating there is that it's just a process that we're going through. So do you see any legitimacy to an ulterior motive, like protecting the dollar or something like that, to the SEC not approving this where the Canadian equivalent is approving it? I'm, I'm definitely the wrong person to ask about uh, why does the SEC make the decisions that it makes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Let, let me just let me just start by saying that um, I, I tend to believe that um, generally in life, everybody wants to do the right thing. And I think that includes regulators, but regulators, by the nature of their role, are trying to fit new things into legislation that was written perhaps before the new thing existed, right? And I'm, I'm always, I always laugh a little bit that your regulatory framework in the U.S. includes words like 40 Act and 33 Act, which actually puts a date on how old those, uh, legis- those, those pieces of legislation are. They go back all the way to before the Second World War. So by definition, you're faced with how do you add something as new as cryptocurrencies, which is so bleeding edge, right? I mean, it was all, Bitcoin came out of the global financial crisis, right? It's written right there in the code. It's a response to money printing uh, in response to the global financial crisis and the failure of the banks back in 2008. That's how new Bitcoin is. You, you, you as a regulator, if you're in their shoes, you have to say, well, how do I satisfy all of the needs that were contemplated back in 1940 with the reality of this. And I would never want to say that anybody is a bad actor in their motives for how they respond to things. Um, But I think there are differences between Canada and other jurisdictions. One of those differences is that we as issuers can have conversations with our regulators that don't necessarily require every question to be replied with a definitive answer in public. And we can, we can be a bit more collaborative with them. And I, uh, I, I definitely, you know, would like to, um, you know, compliment the Ontario Securities Commission and the Canadian Securities Administrators for being open-minded and, and, and they've, but they've been open-minded on crypto for a long time. They've had a, they've had uh, research um, panels internally looking at crypto for years, like since our original filing. So they're trying, um, but I, I wish I could answer your question more definitively. I would love to know what actually goes on behind closed doors in lots of places. So <laughs> I would love to hear about that. All right. Well, moving on to another area, maybe of speculation. Um, uh, you were talking earlier about um, NAV and price. The ETFs are going to hug that, uh, have, uh, I guess, a tighter NAV, a tighter spread to the NAV. Um what we've seen here in the U.S., obviously with GPTC, is this negative premium or discount. Um, 
a lot of people, it's, it's kind of opaque to us. I mean, we can kind of understand what's going on, but you uh, more in the industry, having a similar type of product, um, maybe you can help our listeners get some insight in what you think is going on with this negative premium over there on GPTC. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. I've actually been looking at the premium and discount on GPTC for a long time. Um, I have it up on my screen in front of me. And as recently as mid-December, GBTC was trading at a 40% premium to NAV. So that means every for everybody who was buying uh, GBTC at that point in time, we're paying 40% more than the value of the Bitcoin that it held. Now, a couple of days ago, it was at a negative 11.5% discount. That's a huge amount of difference to have in your returns versus the thing you're trying to own, which is Bitcoin, right? So as an investor, I think that's a terrible experience because you've lost essentially 50% of the value over that period of time, at least on the premium discount basis versus the thing that you were holding. If Bitcoin had stayed the same price, you've now just, you've gone 50% down. I don't really understand why any investor would sign up for that except for a, an, an, a, a problem with supply and demand. So when I think about crypto investing, I kind of, I kind of, uh, broadly think of three categories of, of, of individuals. You've got those who will buy direct crypto themselves. These are people who set up their own wallets, set up their own accounts on an exchange like Coinbase or, or uh, Genesis, and they're going to go and do that themselves. And that's a, uh, an important, perhaps the most important population of investors, because those are the ones who are actually making this thing work. And those numbers are increasing over time, but they are very technical people who typically are super have super high levels of understanding of the technical details of the crypto market and not a lot of people really meet that category these are these are early adopters as well these are technically savvy people very computer literate all that kind of stuff the second community of people are people who want to invest in bitcoin and want to hold it in their brokerage account and until our etf launched had no choice but to own something like gbtc that's the group that has bid up the, and the GBTC to the, that massive premium. It was a 40% premium in December, but its average premium over 2020 was something like 18%. So that means on average, you were always paying 18% more to own GBTC. If you, had a, if you, if you were going to rebalance into it as part of your monthly investment process, you were just always buying Bitcoin at a premium to the price of Bitcoin all the way through the year. Um, but now that you actually have vehicles like our Bitcoin ETF, that you can buy that will track NAV um, very, very closely. Uh, you've seen that premium go to a discount because the premium was there because there was more demand for investing than there were supply of shares of GBTC. They just, they, there was just way, way more people who wanted it than could buy it. Now that you can have an unlimited amount of uh, Bitcoin ETF units issued through the ETF mechanism, People who own GBTC uh, or people, nobody wants to buy GBTC anymore. Why would you buy something that is illiquid? Why would you buy something where you can't redeem from that, um, that asset class? And we saw this even more starkly in Canada. Canada had three closed-end Bitcoin ETFs, very similar to GBTC, that were trading at about 10% premium to NAV. And on the day that the first Bitcoin ETF launched, that went from a 10% premium the day before to a 10% discount the day off, or 8 to 10% on each side over 24 hours. It just flipped because the illiquidity that caused the price to be higher than it should be because demand exceeds supply suddenly turned into a liability for those products because now, you know, 
why why would you buy a fund that you can't redeem when you can buy the exact same asset in a fund that can create and redeem and will track now very very closely and so we we knew this was going to happen we saw it coming i think you know um, people who understand the mechanics of how ETFs work and and can create and redeem units. We're expecting this, and then as I said, I, I see three categories of investors. The third category, which we think is going to be even bigger than the first two, is the investors who haven't bought any Bitcoin at all yet. They haven't bought it directly. They didn't want to pay the premium for GBTC or one of the other products. And now that there are ETFs, I think you're going to see those folks coming to the market because I think you're going to see now that there's an efficient vehicle with good tracking. Um, these are people who've been waiting on the sidelines for a long time saying, well, I'll buy it if I can buy it in an acceptable way. I think we now have that. And that's really the, um, uh, you know, that's why launching Bitcoin ETFs has been such an, an important milestone um, in, uh, in Bitcoin investing. Elliot, so I have a follow-up question about uh, a Bitcoin ETF, and I'm it's kind of uh, asking you to clarify a little bit for folks in our audience who don't understand what you mean by redeeming, right? So Ansel and I understand the differences between the closed-end fund versus an ETF, but can you kind of explain why, like, why GPTC, they don't redeem the, the shares of the trust and why that's different um, specifically, and maybe explain what redeeming means to um, audience members who just don't understand that? Yeah, sure. Um, happy to. So generally speaking, in the fund world, there are closed funds and open funds. So a closed fund will have offerings once in a while, usually an initial offering to raise money to do the fund investing. And then after that, they might reopen the fund from time to time. And those funds typically, do, every fund has to offer some form of redemption, but they usually only offer it something like once a year. So once a year, you could give 60 days notice and then the fund will give you back your money. But effectively, it's closed on a day-to-day -day basis. You can't, it, it will not sell you more units of itself or shares of itself. And if you have shares and you want to give them back, you can't do that. Open-ended funds are open every day for people to buy more units from the fund or people to, who have units to return the units to the fund and get their money back. ETFs are... Um, an improved version of that. So mutual funds are the original sort of most widely used version of open-ended funds. You buy and sell units all day as an investor. ETFs are an improvement on that in that the ETF issuer, and in our case, it's Evolve Funds, that's our company. We have our fund EBIT and we buy and sell units to the bank market makers, the dealers at the market maker, the bank desks who, uh, buy units to then sell to investors. This means if there are lots of investors who go onto the Toronto Stock Exchange buying units of EBIT, they will be able to buy them all day long and the banks who make markets in our fund will sell them units all day long in as much as they wanna buy. And then when those banks at the end of the day figure out how many units they need to create to satisfy all those trades they've done, they just turn around to the fund and say, I need more units and the fund gives them more units. What they do to get those units is they pay cash to the fund. And then we have cash in our fund. And what we do is we wire that cash down to Gemini Trust, which is New York state regulated crypto custodian that, that um, holds our Bitcoin for us. We wire that cash down to Gemini Trust where we buy Bitcoin we have, a, we have a counterparty that's going to sell us Bitcoin that meets us at Gemini with Bitcoin. 
they take the cash, we take the Bitcoin and the Bitcoin is held uh, for the fund. And so that's how more units are created. Now on the opposite hand, on the other way, if a bunch of investors are now saying, we wanna sell all of our units of EBIT, we, need to, we don't want them anymore, they're in the market selling, those same banks are buying those units back from the investor. And at the end of the day, the banks look and say, oh, I've got you know, a million units of EBIT that I don't want because I'm, I, I I'm not owning them. I'm just facilitating this as a bank. So they turn around to the fund and say, I need to give you back a million units of EBIT. And the fund says, no problem. We go down to Gemini Trust and sell some Bitcoin to get cash. And that cash we give back to the bank in exchange for those units. And then so the fund will shrink and grow in size based on supply and demand. And because the banks know the price of Bitcoin all day long, they're buying and selling at the right price. The investor is getting the same as if they were buying and selling Bitcoin on an exchange for their units. And then the fund can provide that growing and shrinking capability. And you don't get these strange um, volatile swings in a premium or a discount, which are, you know, quite uh, can be um, can be quite uncomfortable for investors if they had a, bought at a big premium and then it sunk to a big discount. Obviously, that's not uh, that's not what they were looking for, and so that's why ETFs. I mean, it's why we started an ETF company three and a half years ago. We think the exchange traded fund structure is uh, a wonderful structure for so many investments because it's a very good way for individual investors to be able to buy and sell funds at the correct price all day long, and the fund will grow and shrink in size based on supply and demand, and it really meets everybody's needs. Yeah. That was a fantastic uh, explanation there. So thank you. And then my follow-up to that is for EBIT in general, that is on the Toronto Stock Exchange, but Americans can get access to that and maybe other folks internationally as well. Can you kind of talk about like different ways, but maybe in particular for Americans to uh, get access to the Toronto Stock Exchange and EBIT? Uh, yeah, I can't provide any direct advice. My first piece of advice for anybody listening to this podcast would be go and talk to your financial advisor and see if your financial advisor can offer you um, any options and, and give you some advice on how to do this. The Toronto Stock Exchange is just a, is just a stock exchange in a, in a developed country. Um, lots of investors can trade in lots of different countries. And so if you can trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange, you can buy Canadian ETFs. It's as simple as that. Um, but really that conversation starts with talking to your broker or financial advisor about uh, about that, and and they can give you all the right guidance on uh, on what's possible for you based on your circumstances. All right, so this this show we we talk a lot about central banks and their pol monetary policy and the macro situation in the world. Where do you see Bitcoin's role, um, even as an ETF or as just a, a buy and hold investor? Where do you see Bitcoin fitting into the the next say decade? in the macro environment? Yeah, it's a great question. And I actually think this is why um, investors are looking at Bitcoin as digital gold. That digital gold narrative really seems to have uh, taken hold. Um, I think there are a lot of people who've looked at the money printing by central banks and are worried about the potential inflationary consequences of that. Just to, just to pick one data point, U.S. money supply, M2 money supply in the United States has doubled since 2011. That means there's twice as many dollars flying around in the world as there was 10 years ago. If you own cash and you've held cash over that period of time, that may be a somewhat troubling statistic for you because it means now your cash is worth 
half of what it was worth on a relative basis to all the rest of the cash. And by the way, I'm talking about the US, which is still financially an incredibly strong, stable country. This story only gets worse when you go to places like Venezuela that is experiencing hyperinflation. Folks in Venezuela don't want the paycheck they get the next day after they got it because it's dropped in value over the time they went to sleep at night. And that's why in a lot of those countries, they're looking to things like crypto and Bitcoin, both as a way to preserve value, as well as to escape any kind of capital controls that have been placed on them by their government that's, that's, um, that, that is, that is you know, causing a lot of this hyperinflation. So I don't think anybody who looks at crypto can escape the overall macro picture of what's happening to the global money supply. And I think you can entertain that concept without being critical of it. I just want to point that out because I don't think necessarily we need to be angry about what's going on. You know, the global pandemic is a terrible thing. It's probably the right answer to print a lot more money and help people who are in need. I'm totally supportive of that. It does have a knock-on consequence on the value of dollars. That knock-on consequence also knocks on to the value of currencies or assets that have finite supply or limited supply or limited supply growth. So Bitcoin, you know, famously is only ever going to have 21 million Bitcoins, 18.6 million have been mined so far. It's on a diminishing return scale now as it has um, going forward. So you have pretty much finite supply of Bitcoin. Gold also has limited supply uh, properties to it. Um, but you, you, see, you see similar increases in price in other hard assets, uh, real estate in some areas, and, and things like that. So I think that argument hangs together. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it explains a lot about some of the current thinking behind it. And people have said it more eloquently than me. I'm sure that, you know, I think Elon Musk's uh, tweet about why he likes Bitcoin, um, you know, sort of summed it up, which was, you know, maybe it's not the smartest thing, but it might be slightly smarter than dollars. And that was kind of all he wanted to say about it or something along those lines. Um, but I think this is the overall macro picture. And it's fine. It is what it is. This is where we are. And people have realized that there is an asset that will that will um, uh, not have those inflationary characteristics behind it. And that's what they want to buy. So you think about it uh, in relation uh, compared to gold. It's a gold alternative. Is that the role that you see it playing going forward over the next decade? I, I think that's probably the thing that it's become first. So when Bitcoin first started out, people talked about it as a store of value, a unit of exchange, and a decentralized um, currency that you know nobody controls, right? Well, it's definitely the third thing. Nobody's in control of Bitcoin. I don't think anybody will be in control of Bitcoin. Um, I think people are looking at it right now as a store of value. Some people critique it. They say, well, its volatility is too much for it to be a store of value, but you know, it depends on your point of view. You could you could argue, you know, if if you lived in a world where Bitcoin was your default currency, you would look at everything else and say, wow, everything else is massively volatile, but Bitcoin's okay. So people kind of depends on where their point of view is. As far as a unit of a, a, a unit of account or a unit of transaction, which is kind of the other things, I don't think we're quite there yet on Bitcoin. I can't use Bitcoin to buy and sell things at my local convenience store at the end of my street. Um, I think maybe we'll get there. Maybe we won't. I'm not sure. We may not get there for a very long time in Canada, our dollar is fine. Our currency is in good shape. Our Canadians believe in their government. They believe in their dollar. They believe in their central banks. I think the same is true in the U.S. I think generally speaking, most people believe in the U.S. dollar. I think it's okay still. Um, 
from a unit of transaction and unit of account perspective. I think investors are, are struggling to find places to um, park their money. And I think what's happening now is investors are looking at Bitcoin and saying, maybe it's worth a small allocation just as a hedge against some of the uncertainties that might come along in the future. And I think maybe that's what the current mindset is out there um, in the investment uh, world at the moment. So I kind of understand what you're saying, right? Especially about Western countries, you know, in terms of financialization and uh, banked, you know, percentage of the population being banked, banked uh, much further along. But when you, you know, you brought up Venezuela, you can bring up a lot of African countries too. Famously, last month, um, the Nigerian Senate was tweeting about um, conversations regarding trying to ban Bitcoin and several senators were feeling... Uh, very pessimistic about the uh, about their chances at successfully actually banning Bitcoin, um, and it was really kind of incredible seeing that play out. Um, it it's kind of you know a lot of Bitcoiners attribute Bitcoin success to the size of its market cap, right? As Bitcoin gets bigger, it actually becomes a more investable asset, a more viable and useful thing. Um, and I'm kind of curious, is like okay. So yeah, the West, their currencies are fine, but here's Bitcoin, this native digital thing that, you know, potentially could take over, you know, everywhere that doesn't have good infrastructure. Um, does that kind of play into how you're seeing its development and potentially like its attractiveness to Westerners as this thing just gets bigger? I think its size is uh, relevant Um Right now, you see it being compared to, you know, the large cap equity um, equities in America, right? Like, so, you know, what's the what's Bitcoin's market cap compared to Apple and stuff like that? I think it checks a box in the mindset of investors saying this thing's big enough that it must be a real thing because look at how big it is. I, I don't think that that's nothing. I think it's relevant and I think it, it, it's it's meaningful and needed. And I don't think we would be having this conversation about Bitcoin if the market cap of Bitcoin was a couple of billion dollars, but at a trillion dollars, it, it kind of crosses a threshold and everybody goes, okay, fine. Um, I can't ignore it anymore. Uh, it's, and, and also, you know, it, ha it, has, um, it has a functional benefit as well. So the liquidity of the market is deep enough now, you can have more participants, you can have funds built around it, you can know that if you own it, you could sell it, if you bought it, you can, you know, you can use it and, and you don't have to worry about this thing trading without a good bid and ask spread all day long as you use it. So the utility function increases as it gets bigger and there are more participants in the market. So Bitcoin is very much there and very much in a position where people can now use it without any of those concerns. And so I think, I think it's just, um, it's a maturity process, right? You've had the price run up and then famously there was the crypto winter where the prices dropped and now the prices come have come back up so much so that people who uh people wish they bought the peak in 2017 because it's so much higher now than it was back then that doesn't look like much of a peak anymore the recovery after a bear market is an important proving ground for any new asset class the size of something is an important proving ground the number of participants using it both famous participants, you know, thought leading investors and, and CEOs, that's important as well. The futures market was a massive uh, boost to Bitcoin's legitimacy when it launched back at the end of 2017. To have 
the ability to trade futures against the asset class is just another tool in the toolkit of people who participate in the market. And that, again, improves liquidity, improves access, and increases the number of participants who are involved in it. So I think that's only going to increase again as we've got now corporate balance sheets owning a bit of Bitcoin to hedge themselves like, like Tesla has done, um, as you now have ETFs, as you have an increasing number of large asset managers looking at it. Uh, you know, as recently as today, I was talking to the uh, investment advisor to um, a government municipality that was looking at, a, a and, and this, is, this is in the US, a municipality in the United States looking at using Bitcoin as part of their investment strategy. The more of these participants who are involved, you, you now have a shift. And the shift we've really seen in talking to our clients is, uh, you know, in 2017, the theory was, the thinking was, well, I've got a lot of career risk if I use Bitcoin and I don't need to know about it. And if I do get into it, maybe that's not good for my job because it's not something that the firm that I'm working at thinks we should go anywhere near. And that has shifted a whole 180 degrees where now people are saying, I have a lot of career risk if I don't understand Bitcoin and I need to understand it. And so since we've launched our ETF, the number of conversations that we're having with investors who are just looking for uh, some help in getting more educated on how it works, what it is, how do I use it, where, where is it, and all of that kind of stuff, it's just an enormous amount of additional interest as what we see is so many people flocking to any resource, and, and your podcast is obviously a, a huge part of providing this value for investors to learn about this thing because people feel like now they can't afford not to know that you know you you, you can't put a dollar amount on that kind of uh of, of change but i think it's super relevant to the um the long standing um role that bitcoin will play in in and, and digital finance itself will play in the world going forward yeah i think that's a really good take pretty holistic view there um going from the macro point of view Back down to EBIT, uh, what is the future of your guys' uh, ETF? Uh, do you see, like, uh, how is the volume going so far? How do you expect it to uh, be going forward? And also to tie that into uh, what you mentioned earlier, uh, a little bit earlier was, um, you know, hey, I can't, I must be, have a little bit invested in Bitcoin. Uh, there's a lot of people talking about, you know, one to 5% of the portfolio into Bitcoin. Um, Tesla put, I think it was 20% of their cash balance into Bitcoin. So um, do you have any thoughts on that, the future of EBIT, and then um, maybe any advice, non-advice for investors? <laughs> Great questions. We've seen very steady flows in EBIT every single day for the past two and a half weeks since we launched the fund. So it's great. What we're seeing is just is just steady adoption of our ETF, and we're seeing that across across the, the category. And um, I think we're probably having more conversations with folks who haven't bought any kind of Bitcoin than folks who have and are looking to trade between the different products. And so I think what I think is happening is is like kind of a great awakening happening among investors who are going, "Oh my gosh, there's these ETFs we can use." Let's take a look at them. And so there are a lot of conversations that we're having where people are going into the deep dive into the plumbing of how the ETF operates. And we think that will be supportive of increased use of our ETF over time uh, as time goes on. And um, uh, it'll continue to grow in size and um, we'll continue to have more and more uh, people using it. Uh, but it trades... Um, at a very tight spread, the the NAV is tracking the price of Bitcoin. Everything is working as intended, so it's being it's definitely proven itself out in the marketplace. 
and we're able to attract regular asset flows. So all of that is very good and I think will continue. And so we are very pleased with how the ETF is functioning and we're very pleased with how the market has received it, both the end investors, as well as the dealers who make that market, the dealers who buy those units into their inventory and sell them to the investors. It's been really well supported and we've had great partners in the Canadian financial community among the banks who have been, uh, and the other independent dealers who have been supporting our ETF uh, since we launched it. And, um, you know, that that's the other thing, in addition to having good regulators, we've got a really great banking system here um, who, who is uh, also very open-minded. So, and you need that too. Otherwise, you can't have one without the other. You got to line all of these things up. You have to have the plumbing of the fund, the bank market making support, and the regulatory framework. You need all those three things to make it work. So I think that that's a uh, that that's all lined up and everything's pointing in the right direction. Um, I, I would say to your sort of broader question about uh, was it asking me to speculate on on where, which way it's going or is that what you were asking? No, no. Uh, what's your advice for investors when they're looking to um, diversify into Bitcoin? Oh, I see. Okay, thanks. So I, I would say the. The general advice we have, first of all, is is you do need to talk to your financial advisor and figure out, number one, how does this fit into your overall financial goals and what your other your other um, circumstances and everybody's different. And you, I, I would encourage every investor to uh, spend time looking at that, uh, you know, understand your your investment objectives, what's your timeline, what are your other assets, your house, your other responsibilities, your kids and everything else, and look at it all together and then think about how can Bitcoin help with that. And if you decide you're looking to them by Bitcoin and you say, okay, well, how am I going to get it? I would uh, definitely uh, recommend people look at the Bitcoin ETFs because I think, uh, you know, EBIT in particular, but any ETF structure is going to be more efficient than the other structures that are out there. Uh, I, I don't know, you know how much people should buy as it relates to their, their net worth or their investment allocation. We're seeing people recommending numbers like three or 4% of their portfolio should go into Bitcoin. To me, that seemed entirely reasonable. Um, I heard one, uh, one friend of mine say, uh, I don't know what the number is, but it can't be zero. So there's that point of view as well. <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, if, uh, if you decide you're going to use it, it probably makes sense to, um, uh, you know, make sure that you understand the, the volatility of Bitcoin and, and make sure you size the amount that you're buying appropriately to that volatility. It is a notoriously volatile asset class because it's still early in its development. So you don't want to be, um, unable to deal with it in the drawdowns when, when those things happen as well. And that, that would be the only advice I would give other than the strong advice that you speak to your financial advisor and figure out your big picture as well. Yeah, I think all of that is really fair. And, you know, I think a lot of people are not educated about financial goals in general. They just see number on the screen. How do I make that go up? How do I make more money? And they don't really think holistically or in a goal oriented way. So, um, of course, do your own research when it comes to Bitcoin. But, you know, try to create goals. I don't know if you have an advisor, if you're just managing it yourself, but create goals. That's, you know, that's kind of like the most important thing to get started. Um, Elliot, I really appreciate your time coming on the show, explaining the Evolve EBIT ETF, as well as, you know, kind of diving into some of the, the broader scope uh, topics around the product. I want to give you a chance to uh, kind of give a last word to our audience and plug where people can learn more about you, learn more about Evolve and um, everything else that you guys are doing. 
Yeah, thanks, CK. So you can find me on Twitter at Elliot Evolve ETF. It's my handle. Uh, the best place to go for information about any of our products is our website, www.evolveetfs.com, or just Google Evolve ETF. You'll find us for sure. Um, on our website, you'll see all the information related to all of our products, uh, the prospectus and all the other uh, documents that you would need to uh, learn about our products and how they're put together. Uh, you can also follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, we're on LinkedIn as well. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out through any of those channels. We'll try to answer any of your questions. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, thanks very much for having me on the show, CK and Ansel. It's been really great talking with you guys. Nice meeting you. All right. Awesome. Well, to all the listeners, make sure to go check out FedWatch on your podcast player or on YouTube. You can also find us at Bitcoin Magazine, and you can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find Ansel at Ansel Lindner. Um, Yeah, check us all out on Twitter and make sure to give Elliot a follow. Um, This was a great conversation again, Elliot. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.